0: interesting day with a lot of uh, food for thought from very different um, uh, perspectives. I've been asked to speak about um, the Islamic State movement and look at a research and policy agenda. And I think one thing that's come out from uh, many of of the presentations today, particularly uh, on this last panel, is that we Need to understand the Islamic State movement first and foremost as a modern and contemporary um, uh, phenomenon, much more than we need to understand it as as somehow a um, contemporary manifestation of of an uh, of, of a ancient or um, of an essential, let's say, seventh uh, century Islamic phenomenon. So when when one looks at um, at a, uh, in terms of issues that require further research. I mean, one is indeed um, to try to understand the Islamic State movement's um, relationship to and with Islam. And if we look at how it's typically described in, in, in the media and in public commentary and so on, it seems to be uh, go between, let's say, two poles On the one hand, um, uh, we're told, first and foremost by the Islamic State movement itself, but also by, for example, um, far-right activists in Europe and increasingly mainstream ones as well, that the Islamic State movement is, in fact, um, wholly consistent with Islam. It's a logical culmination of Islam, if not being the very essence of Islam. And on on the other hand, um, uh, we have uh, the response, primarily, of many Muslim clerics, uh, to use their phrase that uh, Islam is innocent of, of the uh, Islamic state movement and of its actions. I think neither of these positions is particularly helpful or for that matter, particularly interesting. And then, you know, nor does it help to say, well, there's kind of a straight line that goes from Ibn Taymiyyah to Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab to Sayyid Qutb uh, to Osama bin Laden Um, and then via Saudi Arabia at some point or or another to Abu Bakr uh, Baghdadi. I think what we need to investigate uh, uh, more is where does the Islamic State movement situate itself in terms of um, Islamic uh, theology and the Islamic uh, tradition, um, and where should they be uh, situated? And here, I think the relationship of the Islamic State Movement to Senefism, um, to, to uh, Wahhabism, uh, et cetera, I think are very legitimate um, uh, questions. I mean, uh, I think it was Toby Craig Jones who said that, you know, one of the distinguishing characteristics of, of Wahhabism is actually allegiance um, to the al-Sa'ud as, uh, as political leaders. Now, given that this is not by no means um, the position of the Islamic State Movement, How does one understand um, the relationship of of, of their uh, uh, theology to uh, Wahhabism, given that they share many of the same uh, uh, sources? I think these are entirely legitimate questions uh, that need to be asked, and we need to go beyond saying it it represents the very essence of Islam, or it's absolutely alien um, uh, to Islam. And here again, the relationship of the Islamic State Movement's um, uh, theology to let's say um, uh, Islamic orthodoxy or Muslim tradition as, as is practiced um, uh, overwhelmingly in, in the Muslim world, I think also requires uh, further examination. A second one is um, second question: is how do we place the Islamic State movement historically if we want to? understand the Islamic State movement uh, better? Do we go back to uh, the early 7th century? Or is it perhaps more useful and instructive to look at the early 21st um, uh, century? Which is another way of saying, will we learn more about the Islamic State movement by studying state construction um, during the early Islamic period? Or rather, um, state destruction in our contemporary world. And here I'm referring, first and foremost, of course, to the asteroid that caused the Big Bang um, in Iraq in 2003, but also um, uh, in Syria, um, uh, in Yemen, uh, in Libya, and for that matter, going back a few (laughs) decades, as we'll be discussing in the break, um, uh, to Palestine um, uh, in the second half of, of the 20th century. And added to this, or perhaps related to this, where do we place it? Where do we place the Islamic State movement analytically? And here I think uh, it's useful to also bring, let's say, mainstream uh, political Islam into the discussion, and particularly the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, there's been a whole debate about whether the Muslim Brotherhood functions as a firewall or a conveyor belt to more uh, uh, radical uh, and jihadi forms of. I think this is an interesting debate. but there's another question that I think is not being asked enough that also needs to be put on the agenda, which is to what extent are nominally secular authoritarian regimes, to what extent do they function as either a fu- firewall or a conveyor belt? I think the obvious um, example here is uh, Egypt under um, Ahmed Sadat. Um, uh, but more recently, of course, we have the Ba'athist regimes in Iraq and Syria. Here one can think, for example, of, of the faith campaign in Iraq in the 1990s. And I think, um, Adi, you just gave a very good example of uh, Baghdadi being a state-sanctioned creature. Um, uh, and, uh, of course, in Syria after 2003, the networks that were established to kind of um, convey um, uh, militant jihadis uh, from Lebanon and elsewhere uh, via Syria to uh, Iraq and so on. Um, and then, you know, to relate it to this, but perhaps in a different way, um, the Gulf states, it's become very fashionable to say, well, uh, if you have a problem with the Islamic State Movement, that means Saudi Arabia, et cetera. What, are, what precisely are the connections um, uh, between let's call them, uh, the GCC states and the emergence and the development of, um, of not only the Islamic State movement, but also um, other movements in, um, uh, on, on, in the jihadi world? Is it a question of state sponsorship? Is it a question of ideological affinity? Or is it perhaps a more mundane question of um, uh, geopolitics and, uh, and proxy conflict? I think these are issues about which we see too many slogans um, but not enough um, uh, serious uh, research. And then, perhaps also related to this, it's become very fashionable to refer to um, the Islamic State movement as a uh, as a Sunni movement, which, of course, it is. But if we look at it in broader historical perspective, particularly when um, uh, I think I'm referring to some point you made here about um, uh, you know finding a Sunni. Uh, Army or uh, Arab Sunni um, ally to defeat um, Islamic State movement. Well, when did Islamist politics um, uh, become in, begin to become dominant in um, Arab opposition circles? And for this, I think we need to uh, go back to obviously uh, the June 1967 war, which was an important turning point, um, the 1973 oil crisis and the enormous new resources at the disposal of conservative uh, monarchies at the Gulf in the Gulf and um, I would say it's one thing um, uh, to preach um, uh, total rejection of the other in central nest when in a sense it doesn't really matter what you think of of, of uh, uh, Shiites or Christians or, or Jews because there's not really any of them around to bear the consequences of those those views. But when you start exporting um, uh, those views to Iraq, uh, to Levant, uh, to Egypt, to Western Europe, well, then they become views of consequence. And the other date I think that should also not be neglected as a turning point in this process is, of course, 1979 and um, the Islamic Revolution in Iran which I would argue was perhaps the final point at which um, uh, secular uh, leftist oppositional politics um, was eclipsed um, uh, by Islamic opposition politics. And then, if you will, the coup de grace was the 1982 Israeli uh, invasion of Lebanon and the expulsion of the PLO uh, from, uh, from Beirut. Similarly, I think we need to learn much more about the rivalry between al Qaeda on the one hand and the islamic state movement and the other i mean there's a narrative of uh Qaeda sending an emissary to syria and then seeking to co-opt him into the islamic state of iraq are you naming it the islamic state of iraq in syria and uh Zawahiri getting involved from uh, uh pakistan and so on but i think there are also deeper political um uh, Issues that were transpiring about which we're insufficiently aware that transcend geographical and personal uh, rivalries. And these are things about which we can perhaps um, try to learn much more uh, than we already know. Um, another, uh, Another issue, which I think is absolutely central to getting a better understanding of the Islamic State movement is trying to get a better understanding of its governance and administration. Uh, my view, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, is that what distinguishes the Islamic State movement from any of these other um, uh, jihadi groups is its absolute prioritization on statehood, on establishing a state, establishing a functioning state, and operating um, uh, as a state, very different, for example, uh, from uh, the Nusra Front or many of the other Al-Qaeda affiliates. Um, and another thing that distinguishes the Islamic state movements is that it seeks to replace um, existing states by establishing a state of its own, rather than to seize power of existing states. It, to the best of my understanding, it was quite happy to retain Mosul and Raqqa and Deir Zor, and never really made an attempt to march on either Baghdad or Damascus when it was at the height of its power in the summer of 2014. How does the Islamic State movement govern? Um, what, are, what are the votes of its administration? Um, what kinds of regional, tribal, ethnic, perhaps even class alliances um, uh, have, or coalitions has it sought to um, uh, establish in order to consolidate and expand its role? And I think you were making the point about its um, economic policy. Again, um, the headlines seem to be dominated by the role of the Islamic State movement in the oil industry. Well, um, I don't think you need to be an economist to figure out that its main um, uh, source of income is actually the people living under its uh, jurisdiction. So how has it sought to organize um, uh, the economy within, within the territories of rules? And last but not least, service provision. Um, uh, How has it sought to organize service provision? To what extent has it been um, uh, successful? Sure. Um, And uh, let me see, did I leave anything up? No, so moving right ahead. um, On on the policy um, side, of course, this tends to be dominated by one (coughs) of three questions, either Um, How do we contain and counter, um, uh, how do we contain and eliminate this movement? How do we counter uh, uh, radicalization? And how do we prevent even more refugees um, uh, from breaking through our borders? And these are – I don't think it's entirely unfair to say that these are um, rather unsatisfactory questions to dominate the policy general, and that they've generally Produced very unsatisfactory answers. What we need to be an, an, um, answering, sorry, asking, precisely the kinds of questions that our friend the civil engineer um, just asked, which is, <laughs> which is, you know, who are their constituents? Um, uh, on what basis have they been able um, uh, to establish a constituency? Which goes to the other question of, are they um, uh, uh, a symptom? Or are they uh, the disease when we look at uh, youth in Europe? Uh, why are some uh, youths in Europe being drawn to the Islamic State movement? And I think the test of the answers we get is, well, then, why haven't more youths in um, uh, Europe suffering the same symptoms of alienation and so on uh, felt drawn to uh, to the so-called uh, caliphate? And here, there is, of course, an article by Mahdi Hassan in the New Statesman, I I believe it was last year, where he was trying to look at how these people got their um, uh, theological education. And he expected to find that they had been reading weighty tomes of early Islamic theology. But in fact, what they'd been ordering from Amazon and so on was Islam for Dummies, Islam 101, uh, and so on. Similarly, looking at um, at youth in the region, one needs to ask the same question. And I think it was um, Olivia Roy who posed the question of, are we dealing here with the radicalization of Islam or the Islamization of radicalism? Um, uh, so, that's, yeah, okay. so and, and we also need to look at this globally. I mean, so much of, of, of the analysis and policy prescriptions regarding the Islamic State movement Seem to be focused almost entirely on either the Mashriq or Western Europe. But I think one thing that characterizes the Islamic State movement is that it at least has aspirations um, to be a truly global movement and has managed to um, uh, establish a presence not only in the Horn of Africa, but also further afield in Central Asia, even in, in, in parts of China, um, Southeast Asia, and uh, and so on. So um, um, in terms of the question of (coughs) radicalization and so on, I I think we we really need to have a a better historical awareness, one that at the very least extends back to 2003, but I would argue also extends a bit further back. Um, Osama bin Laden, whether one chooses to believe him or not is a different matter, but in one interview said that the seeds of 9-11 were sown in Sabra and Shatina. Um Now, if one takes that kind of historical view, um, that traumatic, um, uh, ex- exceptionally disruptive, if I can call it that, actions have um, uh, political uh, consequences. The invasion of Iraq, of course, being the other obvious example, we need to develop, I think, a much um, More acute historical awareness in terms of trying to develop any policy agenda regarding um, uh, this movement. And and my final point would be just to reiterate um, what what my predecessor said. How do we develop national politics and the politics of of, um, citizenship to go beyond what has become an increasingly sectarian understanding of, of citizenship and politics in the Middle East? Thank you.